It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 1st, 2009. I think I'm getting used to the cold weather now. I'm not... You know what, I... I was thinking I needed to get a shawl or something. I was like an old woman, you know. <laughs> ah. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. It's an important job that we do here at Fighting for the Faith, day in and day out. And uh, I have to warn you ahead of time, like I've warned people in the past, this is not some glib little warning that I'm trying to throw out there to sound edgy. It's a, it's a bona fide uh, warning, and that is, is that listening to this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. It could cause you to um, uh, want to switch Bible colleges. It, it could become disruptive for your life. And uh, the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people in Christianity, in the, in the visible church, in visible uh, churchy Christian institutions that aren't uh, doing their job. Instead, they, what is their job, by the way? Their job is to preach Christ and Him crucified from every passage of Scripture. Believe it or not, it's the center message. It's the overarching theme of the entire Bible. And they're supposed to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ crucified for your sins to you, even if you've been a Christian your entire life. And so listening to this program on a day-to-day basis is going to open your eyes to some things that you may not have been able to quite put your finger on. You may have been dissatisfied with your church for some time. You may have, you may have been just had this nagging thing in the back of your head going, you know, I'm not sure what that is. And, and listening to this program is actually going to cause that thing to become defined in your mind. And as a result of it, you might, um, you might experience some disruptiveness in your life. And I know, listen, you know, the way most radio programs go, I mean, they like to tell you of all the great benefits <laughs> that they have. To, I'm trying to warn you, yeah, there are some benefits, but they come at a cost. And so uh, you need to be aware of that ahead of time, and your pastor should be giving you the goods. He needs to be proclaiming both law and gospel. He needs to be proclaiming God's law in such a way that you realize uh, the sins that you are committing, that the, that light is exposed on the, to them, and as a result of it, you are cut to the quick, and uh, basically your self-righteousness completely deflates into nothing. And then immediately he needs to then turn around and give you the good news of Christ and him crucified for all of your sins. Even if you've been a Christian uh, your entire life, you still need to hear that message for you. And so that's one of the things we strive to do here at Fighting for the Faith. Well, today's program, we've got, looking at, it, we're, I'm going to pick up on the stuff I didn't get to yesterday. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first of all, I'm going to give you a, a financial update of sorts uh, regarding Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Now listen, I on a daily basis, I beg for money. And somebody, on one of my friends on Facebook, noticed that my pleas for money have gotten a little bit more... Um, 
poignant, uh, a little more uh, <laughs> like, help, that kind of thing. Well, I'll, uh, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a quick financial update on Fighting for the Faith and uh, talk about uh, something that uh, – a, a tangible way that everybody can help uh, regarding our finances here for – uh, fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio, uh, and then I'm gonna uh, an email regarding Shane Hips. We're gonna get to Perry Neville's 14 things that Jesus didn't say. Yesterday, I spent literally two hours reviewing a Perry Noble sermon, and you know that thing was an abomination from the word boo. I'm telling you, uh, and and I've also uh, oh man. Uh, I've got an update. This is not good news. Bad news uh, regarding that Chinese megachurch that was destroyed. Remember last, you know, this this kind of like chapter three now. Uh, apparently nine of the leaders from that megachurch have been kidnapped, and uh, we're going to be talking about that and hopefully get you uh, to pray for them. And then, uh, and then from the Extreme Prophetic website, believe it or not, we have an update on uh, raising the dead, the importance of raising the dead and, and how you should be doing that. And then our sermon review today um, it comes from Emmaus Lutheran Church in Bloomington, Minnesota, Pastor Nick uh, uh, Drudd, uh, and, and the name of it is Caution Family in Danger. Um, uh, this is going to be our first bad Lutheran uh, uh, sermon review. Uh, normally, when we do, when I pick a Lutheran church to do a sermon review from, uh, usually that's a good thing. Uh, uh, I've decided that I'm going to actually, I've been asked to do this and I'm going to go ahead and do this. And that is, is that we're going to f- pick on some of the, some Lutheran churches that, um, well, they don't do a good job of law and gospel. And so, uh, the caution family in danger, uh, sermon is what we're going to be reviewing from Emmaus Lutheran church. And, uh, and, and unfortunately after hearing this sermon and reviewing it, uh, before we reviewed it on the air, I yeah I don't know if uh, if uh, Pastor Drudd there understands uh, the proper distinction of law and gospel, even though the word Lutheran is in his name. So we're going to be doing that today, second hour. All right, as promised, uh, to lead off today, we've got a little bit of a financial update. And so uh, don't turn me off. I yeah, Listen, I understand nobody likes uh, being begged money for uh, from, but uh, I need to uh, give you an update on what's happening financially with uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. And so I would ask that you would um, just grant me, grant me your ears, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, not, not a lot of people know that uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith are financially underwritten in part, that not in whole, but in part by a very generous supporter. Unfortunately, that generous support is going to come to an end in February of 2010. That's in just a few short months. Now, even though we're receiving donations from our listeners that, that's, and we're selling books and making some money, not a lot, on our advertising, uh, that revenue does not cover all of our monthly expenses. And currently, we're only able to operate because of our generous supporter and the fact that he's making up the difference between what we're taking in and what we need to get, uh, pay out. However, as I've stated already, that generous support is coming to an end in a few short months. Now, are we going to panic? Are we going to say the sky is falling and run around like with chickens with our heads cut off? No, hardly. And we're not going to close up and we're not going to pack our bags and go home. Uh, The reality is this, that if a small portion of our listening audience, and I do mean that, it's a a small portion, we have a very sizable listening audience on Pirate Christian Radio and for Fighting for the Faith. Um, And uh, if a small portion of our listening audience, that's a 1,000 listeners in total, uh, gave $6.95 per month, 
uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio by extension because Fighting for the Faith runs uh, the Pirate Christian Radio radio station. Um, we would have all the revenue that we need to continue month, uh, you know, to basically meet all of our monthly obligations. Now that's, that's just our monthly obligations and nothing more. Any additional support on top, uh, on top of that would actually then allow us to expand our operations and our reach. Uh, therefore, s- starting today, we are launching a new way for you all to support, uh, Fighting for the Faith and by extension, Pirate Christian Radio. And that new way is via a recurring monthly contribution of $6.95. Okay. That, in other words, just a monthly contribution of $6.95. Uh, to give you, let me give you some perspective on that $6.95 figure. Um, $6.95 can purchase one matinee movie ticket. $6.95 can purchase one king-sized value meal at Burger King. And no, they're not giving me money to endorse them, just, just to let you know. $6.95 can also purchase two grande mochas at Starbucks. Or $6.95 can help produce 50 hours of Fighting for the Faith and 168 hours of original programming on Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, this, this, so that kind of gives you the perspective there. You know, we're we're not basically what we're asking is is that you know our listeners, you know, basically we're giving you a very tangible and uh, let's say painless uh, way, if you think of it, to support uh, what we're doing here. So I'm asking you, will you please join, uh, we're calling this our, our Fighting for the Faith crew, or our Pirate Christian Radio crew. You become a crew member. Um, will you please join our crew by becoming one of the initial thousand listeners who will sign up to contribute $6.95 every month? If so, it's really easy to do this. All you have to do is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and along with the donate button, you'll now see a, a button that says "Join Our Crew." That's right, "Join Our Crew." Um, and when you click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can enter all of your information. And then on a monthly basis, your your credit card, what uh, or, or debit card, will be billed six dollars and ninety five cents a month. Again, you know that you know, just in perspective, that's one movie, matinee movie ticket, one king size value meal, or a couple of grande mochas at Starbucks. It's very painless. And uh, in order for us to basically continue past February of uh, 2010, we need to reach a thousand listeners. A uh, thousand listeners need to join our crew in order for us to, you know, guarantee that our monthly expenses are met from month to month. Again, this is not—we have so many more listeners than that. Uh, this is absolutely doable, and um, and I. I'm asking you to do this so that we can continue doing what we're doing. You partner with us and make it possible for us to do that. So so that's kind of the gist of it. And, and if you want to figure out what our annual expenses are, basically take the 695 minus uh, – there's a small financing fee that uh, for the company that uh, we're working with. And then that will give you roughly how much it costs to run uh, Pirate Christian Radio and for us to produce Fighting for the Faith. It's We really run this entire operation – on a bare bones budget, and uh, you know we feel that that's a it's a very important thing for us to do that. Um, in other words, you will never see Chris Roseboro on the Pirate Christian Radio Gulf Stream jet. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> you will not see me driving the Pirate Christian Radio Mercedes Benz. I no, that's not going to happen either. Um, in fact, I wear jeans and shorts to work and t-shirts whenever possible. So. 
you know, it's that it gives you an idea. We're not we're not talking prosperity. And and what's in it for you? You know, this is one of those things where um, I've talked with some people who've done radio and uh, done radio programming and, and financing and stuff like that. And I got to tell you, uh, I was not happy with some of the advice that I got. And um, some people had said, you know, Chris, what you really need to do is you need to lock down your archives and make people pay for them. And, you know, and the, and, and they, you know, the people have advised me saying, oh, listen, if you, you know, if you, if you make your archives available for free forever, then what's going to happen is, is that people don't value them. It's like, you know, here's the deal. I don't want to lock up my archives. Uh, just, I don't want to do that. Fighting for the faith that those archives are important. And, you know, we're not doing this for money. We're doing this to help get, uh, the, you know, basically help get, people the gospel and sound biblical discernment so i don't want to lock my archives up another guy told me that what i needed to do was was make a very low quality recording available of fighting for the faith for free and then if people wanted the high quality version then they could uh uh, then they could uh, pay money for it, and I didn't think that was a, a decent thing either. I just, I just don't want to do that. Plus, because we're running on, you know, on such a tight budget, you know, we just don't have the ability to hire an engineer because that's what it would take. It would take an extra person uh, to do all that extra production work. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And so, you know, what is it? You know, what is it that you get out of this? Basically, the the the, the joy of giving, the joy of also receiving a a, a, a good program, and the joy of uh, partnering with us in what we're doing. I know that you know it sounds like well, well can't we get a you know a free this or a free that? <laughs> we don't even have the money to offer anything to to, to anybody for free. <laughs> it's, just, it's just we don't have that. I mean. So, uh, you know, so basically what I'm asking you to do is, uh, is to join the, the Pirate Christian Radio crew and be part of that initial 1,000 people who basically ensures our longevity for the program. And then uh, the, the goal from there is to grow from there financially so that we can, you know, so that we can have a, a bigger footprint and, a, and you know, a way of reaching out to people with what we're doing. So it, it, it's vital, it's critical, and we have some time. But don't don't let that fool you, please. Uh, you know, act now. Is that, was that what they say in those infomercials? Act now. So there you have it. There's our financial update. It, it, nothing to panic about. But uh, you know, again, we're trying to plan ahead of time here, and uh, and really make an appeal to our listeners to. Uh, to support us, you know, the, you, you, there's there's some aren't there like football teams and baseball teams that are owned by the uh, uh, by the fans in a, in a real sense. Pirate Christian Radio and uh, Fighting for the Faith, you know, we're not exactly owned, but I mean that's the idea. I mean, without without what you're doing, we couldn't do what we do. So, all right, moving along, I got a good email here on f- Facebook. And uh, this is between. This is from Andrew. Andrew writes. He says, "I just finished listening to the Shane Hips Panentheism Twin Spin and uh, episode, and I wanted to make a few comments." Now, th- this is interesting. Now, some people emailed me and said, "Chris, didn't you mean you call it the Shane Hips Pantheism Twin Spin?" And uh, Andrew here calls it the Panentheism Twin Spin. Now, this is one of those things where I, I was on the fence as to call that Shane Hips. Uh, uh, sermon uh, pantheism or panentheism pantheism means uh, god is all or all is god and panentheism means uh, basically god is in all and based upon the language that shane hips was using that language that he used was more 
pantheistic than panentheistic, but that might be caused by a confusion on his part. Um, so that's why I called it uh, pantheism because it's you know it's the uh, the uh, all is God. Um, which, by the way, is kind of a ridiculous um, idea. If all of us are God, then how come we forget that we're God and we have to be uh, reminded or awoke, reawoken to the idea that we're God? What kind of God is that? Anyway, back to Andrew's uh, email. He says, first, I'm surprised I didn't tear my hair out while listening to the sermon. A few more minutes of that, and I'd probably be able to save a few dollars a month on haircuts. Yeah, that I got to tell you, Andrew, I, I'm with you there because that was probably some of the most blatant heretical things I've ever heard from somebody who, um, let's say, is gaining exposure and uh, followers within evangelicalism. Secondly, and more importantly, hips absolutely horrid, hips is absolutely horrid heretical musings confirm something. I've thought for a few years now, broad American evangelicals, uh, evangelicalism's disdain for systematic, biblical, and historical theology is leading to inexor- inex- inexorably toward a wholesale return to classical Gnosticism. I, I think you're right. Gnosticism really was the first heresy that uh, Christianity had to face, and, and uh, you know, the apostles themselves had to fight the early Gnostics. And, uh, you know, which is one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that the Gospel of John was written against was the, was the, uh, Gnostic heresy. Uh, something to keep in mind there. Uh, we continue. Uh, 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 Shane's savage twisting of John 1 shows his Gnostic presuppositions clearly, right down to the divine spark. Yeah, huh? And the function of Jesus being the enlightener rather than the savior. Exactly. Shane defines salvation as uh, Christ awakening you to the divine spark or breath within you. So salvation is, quote, enlightenment. Even present was the classic uh, Gnostic uh, parasitic hermeneutic used on sacred text in order to create a meta-meta-narrative of secret gnosis of what God is really doing with those who understand they contain a slice of the divine. Of course, at the expense of what the text actually says, it couldn't be more Gnostic. If Shane got up and started preaching about emanation from one uh, from the one, the chain of being and the demiurge and eons directly. <laughs> you know, I wonder if he's going to do that. While Shane self-identifies as a Mennonite and therefore is not directly an evangelical, his association with Rob Bell and the rest of the emergent crowd provides a handy vehicle for dissemination of his neo-Gnostic heresies in the now largely uh, retarded American evangelical community. And I think he's using, he's not, this is not, a, uh, I don't think Andrew is ca- casting an aspersion in, in, in towards retarded, you know, the, those who are, um, born mentally handicapped. I mean, there is a true, there's a right sense in using the word retardation. And that's what we're talking about here. Another clear example of the re-incursion of classical Gnostic doctrine into evangelical is the obsession with Richard Foster and all things mystical and aesthetic. Correct. At its core, all forms of mysticism presuppose the ability of man to have an unmediated union with the divine nature due to some unfallen slice of the divine they claim man retains. The Quakers speak of the inner light in the same way that Shane spoke of the, of the divine spark, and both of them could trace that abominable doctrine back to classical 
Gnosticism. It, absolutely, and I think you're right here in pointing out the fact that uh, that the the real it, the real danger with Shane Hips is is because of his association with Rob Bell and the emergence, and because he's being promoted by Rob Bell, uh, specifically just at the you know the the conference that was just a couple months ago at Rob Bell's church, the Poets, Prophets, Preachers conference, which we covered some of the uh, uh, material that was covered there at that event. Um, he, I mean, this was just blatant Gnosticism and, you know, this bizarre spirituality that was promoted there. It's not Christianity. And what's happening is it's being injected into the mainstream of Christian thought through Rob Bell. And so that's why it's so dangerous. Uh, Andrew continues. He says, at this point, I think the only thing we're waiting for evangelicals to believe is a docetic Christ. Then, sadly, we will have arrived full circle. Pray for repentance. Even now, Christ stands willing to forgive their blasphemous heresies. Well said, Andrew. Good email. And uh, he says, your OPC friend, Andrew. And P.S. Stop calling the PCUSA Presbyterians. <laughs> I, I I apologize. It, I, it is true that uh, PCUSA, the P stands for Presbyterian, uh, and it's Presbyterian Church USA. But uh, it's a, he says that uh, we loathe them being called Presbyterians every bit as much as you uh, do when someone calls the ELCA Lutheran. Uh, <laughs> the Westminster Assembly would spin in their collective graves to hear of what the mainline Presbyterian Church has become. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, you know, we we talk. Why is it that we keep banting that uh, particular phrase about? You know, uh, people would be spinning in the grave. Luther would be spinning in his grave if he heard that. Or you know, the the Westminster. Uh, here's the deal: the, the dead are well, they're with the Lord, and so they might be they might be quote spinning in their grave. But the thing is, is that all of us who hold to our to our confessions, the confessions of faith, I hold to the confessions. Uh, first of all, the ecumenical creeds, and secondly, uh, the confessions of the Lutheran churches in the in the uh, in the Book of Concord. You want to know what Roseboro believes? I unashamedly, uh, without reservation, subscribe to the confessions of the Lutheran churches found in the Book of Concord. And uh, by the sound of uh, Andrew's uh, postscript in his email, he subscribes wholeheartedly and unashamedly to the confessions of the Westminster Confessions. Um, you, you, we should not be ashamed to uh, to do such things. Some people say, "What about sola scriptura?" Listen, the Bible has to be interpreted, and so you know, the, I don't have a problem with a reformed guy saying, "Listen, I interpret the Bible. I I believe that the correct interpretation of the Bible is found in the Westminster Creeds, in the Westminster Confession of Faith." I have no problem with that. I believe that if you have an interpretation of the Bible that contradicts the the summary of Scripture that you know that is found in the primary doctrines laid out in the book of concord that you're not doing your biblical work correctly now when we do that what we find out is that there's a lot of common ground and overlap between presbyterians and lutherans that is not to say that there are not differences and that there are not significant differences there are um you know at this point though in in our christian history and it, with the way the church is um i will Get in a foxhole with a Presbyterian who's in a firefight with a heretic any day of the week because we're not called to die and then spin in our graves when somebody does something stupid. Uh, in, in fact, right now, it, it's all hands on deck. Christianity right now is literally being attacked 
full, basically from within. And the attack is not a, a subtle one. It's a blatant, it's a strong one, and it, it's, it's huge. Literally, churches across the country and the world are falling into grievous and serious heresy. And, um, and, and the way I see it, uh, it's almost this, this, this ridiculously powerful one-two punch. What happens is, is that you, you got churches that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, have, they subscribe to or, you know, they, they, in their, in their desire to, quote, be missional or reach the lost or whatever, they believe that the right way to go about that is to become seeker driven or purpose driven. And, uh, as a result of it, they abandon sound biblical exp- expository preaching. They abandon good, solid Bible study. They, have, uh, good catechesis and, uh, and teaching. And as a result of it, what happens is, is that their, their, uh, their preaching becomes literally a half an inch deep as far. It, 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 it's, it's, it, maybe that's just too generous. Um, it's, their preaching becomes so shallow biblically, uh, that you probably couldn't even put a sponge in the biblical waters in those sermons and then wring it out and get anything substantive. And as a result of it, that kind of preaching, that kind of methodology creates a whole bunch of people who either are not converted to Christianity or if they are truly converted to Christianity, that is, is they 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 repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation and trust in what Christ has done for them on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. What happens is, is that they remain and I apologize, I'm using this word, but this is the right way of using it. They, their, their growth in Christ is retarded. Okay. And I don't mean that they're, I don't mean that in some kind of an aspersion. There's, their growth is retarded. As a result of the, of that fact, they do not have, uh, the biblical maturity. They do not have the biblical understanding. They do not have the biblical literacy necessary to fight off false doctrine that comes their way. As a result of it, they are like ships without a rudder, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. And they they are literally, this shallow preaching that's in these seeker-driven churches is tilling the ground that the seeds of heresy are now sprouting up in like oh so many weeds and the harvest that's being reaped is not a harvest of righteousness not a harvest of souls that have uh, have repented of their sins and trusted in christ but we're talking about a very large bumper crop of tares and people who are incapable of reproducing christians because they're not christians themselves or they're they've been choked out by this false doctrine and the cares of the world and so that's all the more reason why Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio exists, uh, because somebody's got to do something. <laughs> we've we've got to we got to get into the battle. We got to get into the fight. Now you know the kind of programming we do at PCR and the kind of programming I do here at Fighting for the Faith would not be tolerated in uh, your standard uh Christian radio outlet uh they've for the most part a lot of these have a lot of those stations have fallen prey to false doctrine already so as a result of it they wouldn't tolerate it so well, what are we going to do about it well rather than wringing our hands and saying oh they're not going to let us play our show on their no who cares we made our own stations <laughs> there you have it great email by the way andrew so 
All right, we are up on our first break. When we come back, let me take a look at what's on the docket here. Um, okay, uh, Perry Noble's 14 Things Jesus Didn't Say. We're going to talk about that. Uh, nine Chinese mega church leaders have been kidnapped, and then we got an update regarding raising the dead. I kid you not, you don't want to miss that. All right, if you like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at uh, my email address, and that's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. I'm a friendly guy, and as long as you behave there and not ask me to you know, b- bother me too much to babysit your children, I'll say yes. Um, again, uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can look me up on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer! Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, 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 no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, 
the passage of scripture. Judas hung him himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself. Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide. What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death. What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture. Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like His. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Kitchen Source as one of our featured advertisers. Since 1996, Kitchen Source has been the leading online retailer of kitchen, bathroom, patio, and home accessories. Time and experience has allowed Kitchen Source to select some of the finest quality merchandise from top manufacturers around the globe, and they are pleased to continually add to their vast product selection in order to offer you the best home products. If you'd like to find out more about Kitchen Source, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. That's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. And then when you land on that homepage, click on the friendly web banner that will take you to the Kitchen Source website. And remember that a portion of all of your purchases at Kitchen Source goes to support the work of Pirate 
Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen today. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. Warning, this program is going to expose all of your heresies. And it could be very uncomfortable for you. All right, need to remind you, once again, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You can support us a few ways now. Uh, one, you visit fightingforthefaith.com, and when you arrive there... Strongly consider becoming one of our Fighting for the Faith crew. You can do that by clicking the Join Our Crew button, or if you would like to contribute to you know above and beyond that, uh, donate if you would in a in you know in a more generous way. You can do so uh, by clicking on the donate button there at Fighting for the Faith, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight, Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, Perry Noble has a blog. I don't know if have we have we done any Perry Noble blog stuff here before. You know, I, I read his blog regularly. Is probably the way to put it, and most of the time, it's just not even worth responding to. However, he put up a post the other day that got my attention, and uh, it's fourteen things that Jesus did not say. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I can think of a lot of things that Jesus didn't didn't say. Why can I do that? Well, because this is what we call an argument from silence. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we could even we could talk about the fourteen things Gandhi didn't say. You know, um, like pass the ketchup. You know. Uh, anyway, so uh, this is supposedly supposed to be some you know deep you know, uh, theological blogging that's going on here with Perry Noble. And uh, after yesterday's performance during his uh, sermon uh, that we reviewed, remember the, 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 the name of the sermon series was The Five Lies of the Devil, okay? And I'm telling you, if I were to do a sermon, se- not a sermon series, but a radio series, a, a series here on Fighting for the Faith of of satanic lies and, and really deceptions that the devil is out there using to deceive people. Because remember, Jesus Christ himself said that Satan is the father of lies. And you know, Satan uses deception to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, if I were to do a, ser- a series on the five toxic lies of the devil, I would never come up with with, with one of the lies that Perry Noble did, and uh, the, that was the sermon that we did yesterday, the lie that, well, New Spring Church just wants your money. <laughs> like, can we come up with a real lie? Anyway, so here's 14 things that Jesus did not say uh, vis-a-vis Perry Noble. <clears throat> The blog post reads, we get things messed up from time to time, especially the words of Jesus. Here is what he did not say. Number one, they will know that you are my disciples by your theology and the arrogance that accompanies it. Oh, man. And he's quoting from that John chapter 13, verse 35, which says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I want to point something out here. Um, <clears throat> okay. 
there, there's, this is a fun little uh, point that he's making here because he's trying to make a point. So Jesus never said that you'll know my disciples by your theology and the, quote, arrogance that accompanies it. Now, the funny thing is, is that that statement that he's, that's point number one on the things that Jesus didn't say is actually a theological statement, right? And notice that uh, that was meant, that's a backhanded thing that he's saying there. And notice the arrogance that goes along with the statement. Now, listen, I'm not really upset by his arrogance. Listen, if you don't have the, the conviction of your theology, basically, you, you don't you know, have the courage of your convictions regarding your theology, what's the point in having it? I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody who makes a theological point and says, you know, I think that kind of maybe sort of that the uh, the thing I'm believing here regarding uh, God theologically may kind of maybe sort of kind of be maybe true if you look at it in a particular light. Those people are worthless. <laughs> Give me somebody who believes something. But here's the deal. Okay, so quoting John chapter 13, verse 35, the, 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 you'll know my disciples if you love one another. Here's the th- thing I have, and that is this. How is it that you could love, say that you love somebody if they hold to false doctrine or and or theology and you don't confront them and rebuke them regarding their false doctrine and theology. How can you say that you love somebody if you're just going to sit on your hands and go, well, I know that person believes something completely false and about God and, and Christ, but I don't want to be unloving and, and correct them on that. It, what, it, see, the problem there is not love. The problem is your definition of love. If your definition of love doesn't have you getting in somebody's face when they believe something that is absolutely detrimental to their soul, then how can you say that you love a person? In fact, I would say that one of the ways you can tell somebody really, truly is being loving is if they have the courage of the, the courage of their convictions and will tell you, listen, that's not what God's word says. That's not what God's word teaches. And and what you said contradicts God's word, and it's a very dangerous thing to contradict God's word. Some contradictions more dangerous than others. You see, by the way, the Apostle Paul says regarding those who teach uh, false doctrine to rebuke them sharply. Sharply. So so here's the deal. Um having the courage of your convictions when it comes to theology and doctrine, the way you put that love, you put love into practice, is to point people's false doctrine out. It's important that you do that. Because in many cases, somebody's soul is at stake. So knowing that we're Christians by our love does not rule out correcting somebody doctrinally or theologically. I find that kind of interesting uh, that... uh, Perry would point out, here's something else that Jesus didn't say. Number two, dream really small dreams and make sure you never ask for anything big. Um, did, uh, okay, so Jesus didn't, uh, so did Jesus say dream really big dreams and ask for big things? What do you mean by that? Well, hang on a second here. The proof text for this is John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. We read, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Um, Perry, uh, dude, um, 
John fourteen twelve through 14 does not say uh, dream big dreams and ask for big things. At least not the way you would think, the way you're thinking it. Um, <clears throat> let me read it again in context. He, by the way, this is from the uh, New International Version. The so far the un um, the unliberalized uh, as far as female language is concerned version. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, okay, okay, listen. So we got some qualifiers. The one who has faith in me. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? Faith and trust in Christ is that faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for salvation. Okay, So anyone who trusts in me, has faith in me, will do what I've been doing, um, and he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Well, what were the things that Jesus was doing? Well, when we read about Jesus' ministry, he went, into, he went to, from town to town telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, okay, so, and yeah, he healed people, raised people from the dead and stuff like that. And he says, uh, do great things, and uh, I will do whatever you ask in my name. What does the Bible mean? What does Jesus say that uh, I'll give you whatever you ask in my name? Basically, that little flag there has to do with things that are in accordance with his will for his purposes and for his glory. Okay, and that's what it, he says here. So that that Son of Man may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name. It doesn't say you can ask for anything and I will do it. It says you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So, um, sorry, Perry. Um, we're, uh, apparently you're engaging in some bad theology here. Number three, if someone doesn't believe just like you believe, make sure to do all you can to attack, criticize, and beat them down as much as possible. That's apparently the third thing that uh, Jesus did not say. However, uh, listen, Perry, uh, let, me, let me just do a little word search here in my Bible. I'm going to look for the word rebuke. R-E-B-U-K. There we go. Rebuke. Okay. Um, all right. In the Bible, in the New Testament, I'm going to leave, limit my search to the New Testament. Here we go. Just just looking at verses. Um, okay. Uh, Jesus said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um First Timothy chapter five verse twenty. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may uh, that the rest may stand in fear. Second Timothy chapter four verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. Titus chapter one verse uh, nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, uh, sec, uh, Titus chapter one, verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Um, Titus chapter two, verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So, uh, Perry, listen, um, Jesus actually did tell us to rebuke, um, the, the apostle Paul, literally under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit told us to rebuke. So um, this number three point that you, um, that you point, if someone doesn't believe just like you believe, um, see, here's the deal. We're t- all Christians are exhorted to belief and in sound biblical doctrine. Okay. We're all exhorted to the same thing. The idea is, is that if you want, 
really the goal of of that is to not have any original doctrine of your own. You don't want anything that's unique to you or your particular group. You you want to believe sound biblical doctrine. If someone doesn't believe, so Jesus wouldn't have said, if someone doesn't believe like you believe, make sure that you can do all you can attack, criticize, and beat them down as much as possible. Um, we've already pointed out that if someone believes false doctrine, they are to be rebuked, and that's what the Holy Spirit told us to do. Um, his proof text, by the way, is um, uh, Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41, that says, uh, uh, Teacher said, John, uh, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Uh, Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Notice there, it's somebody who does a miracle in Jesus' name. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Uh, So the implication there is if somebody does a miracle in the name of Christ, then they would already actually believe sound doctrine. Um, This this passage that you quote, Perry, has nothing to do with uh, true or false sound or uh, uh, or unsound doctrine. If somebody does, if somebody's teaching false doctrine, they are to be rebuked. That's what God's word says, ever so clearly. So, I mean, this whole little exercise on the fourteen things that Jesus didn't say. Um, this is an argument from silence. Obviously, Perry's grinding an axe against the people who are against what he's doing, and the reason why people are against what he's doing is because what he's doing is contrary to what Scripture instructs. So a nice try, Perry, but it just doesn't wash. If you'd like to actually read this uh, thing yourself, go to perrynoble.com and look up the 14 things that Jesus did not say. By the way, I don't think a Perry allows for a conversation or comments on his uh, blog post. If he did, he, he um, it would give him too many black eyes that he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to see. So that wouldn't it would just look bad if he did that. So that's why he doesn't allow comments on his blog site. <clears throat> All right. Moving along, as promised, uh, we've this is a bizarre one. I'm telling you, this is just crazy go nuts. Um, this guy named Randy is on the Extreme Prophetic website talking about raising the dead. Now, one of the things we talk about here at Fighting for the Faith over and over and over again, this is a kind of a, one of the drums that I constantly beat. It's uh, you know, it's the horse that I like to beat until it's dead. And uh, that is, is that, um, you know, the way you would protect yourself against false doctrine uh, and false biblical interpretation, it's really simple. And you follow three simple rules. These three simple rules will actually clear up over 90% of all false interpretations of the Bible. And uh, you're going to find that out here as we find out about this Raising the Dead ministry. But since we're talking about Extreme Prophetic, we have to uh, play our Fractured Fairy Tales. Yeah, those folks over at Extreme Prophetic, they can tell some whoppers. (laughs) They tell all kinds of fun little stories. But, you know, one of the things that's missing from all of their stories is um, evidence. So uh, now listen. So here we go. Here is Randy. I don't know Randy's last name. Maybe we'll figure it out as the course. I'll hunt for it while he's talking. Here's Randy from Extreme Prophetic talking about raising the dead. I want to talk to you just for a few moments today about raising the dead. <laughs> His name is Randy Demain from KingdomRevelation.org. 
he's going to talk to us for a few minutes about raising the dead. If you haven't considered raising the dead, you might want to consider it. It's a reality that's happening all over the world today. Really? Why isn't it on the news then? Increasing uh, momentum and numbers. Many people are being raised from the dead all over uh, the United States and the third world countries. All Don't you think that would make the news? I mean, seriously. Okay, you got somebody with a death certificate who shows up to work. I mean, don't you think that would, you know, like some enterprising reporter might actually report on that? You said it's in the Mar- in the United States and in South America. And- All around the world. It's a very exciting day to be living in. Uh-huh. Do you know that Jesus actually commanded us to raise the dead? Did he really? He Jesus commanded us to raise the dead. Now, by the way, he's going to quote the Bible here. Um, now, what are our three rules for sound biblical interpretation? They are context... Context and uh, the third one is context. We'll, we'll apply that rule here very shortly. Uh, listen in. Isn't that something? It, what's really something is is that you're actually on camera filming this with a straight face. He said we could. He commanded us in the context of sending out the disciples of whom we are to raise the dead. Listen to this scripture. It's an amazing scripture. This is what he says in Matthew. Did you catch that little twist there? He said that in the context of sending out the disciples of whom we are. So that means it applies to us. Mm. Chapter 10, uh, verse... Matthew chapter 10. Um, 8. He sa- verse 8. Says, well, let me start in verse 7. No, please he says, do. as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It goes on to say this. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead... Cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. You know, the evidence of the presence and the operation of the kingdom of God is this. It's these very things. The sick are healed, uh, the, uh, the leopards are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the demons are cast out. Now, it's amazing that God commanded us to do this. You know, westernized Christians, I believe... Did Jesus command us to raise the dead? Okay, we're going to like take a look at Matthew chapter 10. Okay, if you have your Bibles and you need to have your Bible, uh, please turn to uh, Matthew chapter 10. I will be reading from the uh, English Sanctified Version. Okay, <clears throat> starting at verse 1, not 7, not 8, verse 1. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. Okay, I want to point this out. This authority was given to, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, 12 people. The names of the 12 apostles are these. This authority was given to 12 people, and here are their names. Are you ready? Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Those are the 12 people, the only 12 people that this specific authority was given to. We now continue. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. How many were there? Let me count again. Twelve. 
These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So verse 5 makes it very clear, you are not to enter any Samaritan towns. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 7, this is where um, Randy uh, started. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house of that town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Okay, using our three biblical rules, context, 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 how many people received this specific authority from Jesus to, quote, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, etc.? Answer, 12. This authority, this call to raising the dead is not a church-wide authority. It's not part of the Great Commission. This was a special authority given to the <clears throat> 12 who are named, by the way, in the beginning of chapter 10. Here we just read that. And this is not something for the entire church. Does that mean that resurrections can't happen, that we can't pray, for, you know, that, that God can't raise people from the dead? No, that doesn't mean that. It just means that this is not a general authority given to general believers uh, that, that applies to all of us the same way it applied to these 12 whom the specific authority was given to. Plus, I mean, if you're going to say that this is for all of us, then how come uh, it shouldn't we also point out the fact to Randy and the folks over there at Extreme Prophetic that Jesus made clear that they are to acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt. So you can't be, you know, those folks got to shut down their uh, donation page if they're going to be uh, taking this and applying it to the um church as a whole we continue with randy's thing have made raising the dead much too difficult uh, it's hang it's on. like this unapproachable place where you hang on i gotta back this up because you gotta hear this in context this is just some crazy talk here here we go uh, the uh, the leopards are cleansed the dead are raised and the demons are cast out now it's amazing that god commanded us to do this you know westernized christians i believe have made raising the dead much too difficult Yeah, you heard that right. We've made raising the dead just much too difficult. Come on, it's not that hard. Anybody could do it. Uh, it's it's like this unapproachable place where you have to have this ultimate super level of hyper faith. And if you don't have it, don't even try. Can I just tell you that's really not true? It uh, can I just tell you, Randy, that your use of Matthew chapter 10 just isn't true? Takes faith. That is true. But don't talk yourself out of it. Let me give you a story about how... Okay, now he's going to give us a story. Remember, our theme for the Extreme Prophetic folks is fractured t fairy tales. They're really good at telling stories. Uh, <clears throat> but the problem is there just ain't any evidence to back this up, except for the fact that he's telling us a story. God used me to raise two people from the dead, and maybe that'll help you have some courage to do the very same thing. 
I was in Uganda, Africa, doing some crusades, preaching and teaching there, which I love to do. See, Randy himself, he's raised two people from the dead. I mean, see, that should just give you hope that you can do it, too. One afternoon, I was in a uh, large meeting, a large mud building, packed, hot, sweaty. And I was about two-thirds of the way through my message when they came in and interrupted me. And they asked me uh, to come and pray for this woman. And uh, I'm trying to tell the man through the interpreter, I'm just about finished with my message. If you'll just let me finish a few more minutes, I'll come. Well, they were insistent. They, they wouldn't let me stop uh, or continue the message. They made me stop and go with them. And so I consented, and I went with them. And <clears throat> I think the term we're looking for is he's spinning a yarn. And uh, I'm walking with them about 10 minutes away from the place where we, uh, we're meeting. And we began to walk out in the very tall and high grass in Africa. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but uh, on some of the pictures you might have watched of Africa. Anyway, here I am with two guys. I don't know them. And uh, I'm walking out in this tall grass in Africa, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, are these guys taking me out, you know, to do something with me? Am I coming back? It's been, you know, 10 minutes. And I was getting a little bit nervous, quite honestly. And honestly, can I just tell you, I was a little bit uh, perturbed in the sense that I had to stop the meeting to follow these guys way out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, when I was just getting to the point, you know, in my message where it was just going to be really good, you know, that's what we think, don't we? At any rate. So he was preaching and he got interrupted by these two guys who absolutely insisted he had to come then and now. Mm -hmm. So I'm out here uh, with these guys and all of a sudden we come upon this African woman laying uh, face down in the dirt out in this tall grass, uh, dead. I mean, very dead. Uh, where how many degrees of dead are there? There's dead, there's very dead. Uh, maybe, what's a Princess Bride line? Oh, yeah, he's, maybe she was only mostly dead. Rigor mortis had set in. I don't know how many hours that takes, but she was stiff. If you moved, you know, one part of her body, all of her body moved. And so uh, I knew she had been dead for a while. Now, Did you check her pulse? Now, I looked at her and I looked at the guys, and, and this is what I'm thinking. And, and you just have to go with me here. I'm thinking, couldn't this have waited till I finished my message this woman's dead I mean where is she going are you with me I mean no really I'm not with you at all this <clears throat> yeah this smells fabricated a little bit of sulfur there too I was not in a hyper faith super you know faith mode here I was preaching a meeting I was disrupted I was brought to find a woman who was dead who certainly seemed to me could have waited until I was done preaching are you there? That's that's kind of my emotional, uh, you know, place where I was right then. <clears throat> Are you believing any of this? I'm just not buying it. Just seriously, the the even this the the facts of this story just don't kind of work out. So I looked at this woman, and I was mad at the devil that he ma made her dead to interrupt my meeting. I was a little upset with. Really? Yeah, you were mad at the devil because the devil made her dead. That's a funny way of putting it. Wouldn't it be the devil killed her in order to interrupt your meeting? Again, I'm just not buying any of this. These guys. And uh, I just looked at that woman and I said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come to life now. And you know what? She did. Liar. <laughs> no, you're lying. I'm telling you, you are lying. 
You are lying like a rug. Uh, can, can, we need evidence there, dude. Evidence. Yeah, uh, can you subs- what's her name? What village was she it from? Come on. We need eyewitness testimony and I want evidence. I'm not I'm not buying any of this. She sat straight up out of being totally dead. She sat straight up, but remember she was face down. Her eyes were very wide. I don't know if she'd ever seen a white man. I could not imagine what was going through her mind. She jumped up and began to run as fast as she could away from us. Uh-huh. These two African guys that were with me, they chased her down and tackled her. Right. Can you believe that? I said, take it. No, I can't believe any of this. See, guys, she was just dead. You know, don't hurt her. Well, long story short, they bring her back to the compound where we were preaching, and they put her in the pastor's room there. They give her some water, have her lay down, you know, kind of, you know, be refreshed a little bit. Well, she got- yeah, because you know, being dead is really hard on the body, by the way. Got to looking around, and she found some money from the offering in the pastor's house. So she stole it, jumped out the window, and took off. Okay, so she was dead. Okay, which means that she probably had, you know, an afterlife experience, you know, either heaven or hell, and that had no impact on her whatsoever. And then she comes back to life, and the first thing she does after she's refreshed, because, you know, being dead is really hard on the body, is she steals some money. No, sorry, none of this makes any sense. These guys that were watching her saw her take off, so they ran after her and tackled her again. Knocked her down in the dirt. Could you imagine that, just being raised from the dead, and now people are treating you this way? It's a- that is no way to, to treat the recently resurrected, I'm telling you. Amazing thing. Anyway, long story short, they shared the gospel with her. She uh, gave her... And what would that gospel be? I don't that she could bake her brain in the glory and and have glory dust. Yeah, heart to the Lord, return the money. She's a living Christian today. Really, what's her name? What town is she from? What village is she from? Where exactly did this take place? These guys, she, you're just telling me a story with a Bible verse completely t- ripped out of context. There's no way on earth I'm believing any of this stuff. Remember Todd Bentley claiming there were, like, what, 14 resurrections? You know, there was one guy, Todd Bentley said one guy, you know, they were they had they had uh, Todd Bentley's uh, revival, you know, the, the Florida outpouring. On, they had a television on inside of a funeral home, and a guy was raised from the dead while that was on. Completely bogus. Absolutely bogus. I cannot believe these charlatans. Unbelievable. So there you have it. It's been a while since we've, we've had that kind of um, update from the extreme prophetic people. I was kind of hoping they had moved beyond that kind of stuff, but apparently that's all part of their bread and butter. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, I got a, a, an update regarding that uh, Chinese megachurch that was destroyed by the, the those people who basically sacked it there in uh, in Fushan, China. Apparently, nine of their uh, leaders have now gone missing, and uh, this is a sad story. So we I update you on that. The saga. This is like chapter three now regarding this Chinese megachurch. So we'll cover that when we come back, and then we're going to do our sermon review entitled. Um, you know, caution family in danger from Emmaus Lutheran Church, Bloomington, Minnesota, Dr. Pastor Nick Drudd. So you don't want to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, whoa, this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's Facebook forward slash Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there is 
Tired Christian. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. We're back. We're, we're already into hour number two. That's all right. Man, this is bad news coming out of China. One of the things we cover here regularly on Fighting for the Faith is news that has to do with um, persecution of Christians around the world. The reason why I cover those stories, uh, first of all, it's important for us to keep in mind and keep our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer around the world. Listen, Christianity is far from legal in many sectors of the world, and and our Christian brothers and sisters in nations that are openly hostile to Christianity risk life and limb to uh, to share the uh, to share the gospel to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins and as a result when we when we hear news of our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering for 
for their confession of faith in Jesus Christ. We, we need to keep them in our prayers. But the other reason why I regularly do these types of stories is to remind us that Christianity, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not about having your best life now. It really is not. Um, in fact, if that were the case, then Jesus would have exemplified that for us. Instead, he was crucified on a cross. And uh, basically, a servant is no greater than his master. And uh, Jesus promised us suffering, promised us persecution, promised us that uh, proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins could get us in a heap of trouble. And, um, you know, while we are here in the United States or in Western nations and we have the freedom to openly proclaim our faith, at least uh, that's still kind of sort of the belief or the 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 rule of the day. However, in Great Britain, uh, they've become open more and more openly hostile to those who are proclaiming Christ and him crucified and uh, proclaiming the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. I mean, so, I mean, there's already open persecution against Christians in Great Britain. I, I think it's a matter of time before we experience some of that here in America. Uh, should we mourn that? Uh, maybe on some level, but here's the deal. <clears throat> I'm telling you, I, we, I've seen it throughout church history. If, you, if you're familiar with the, 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 the history of the Christian church, in those places where Christianity is persecuted, is many, of the, is many, many times it becomes a place where it thrives. And so, um, you know, where where there is no persecution, I don't know. It's like it's like being fat and lazy. I know all about that. Anyway, um, so here, the headline is from the Christian Post, and it reads: Nine Chinese megachurch leaders kidnapped, says rights group. So this is uh, chapter three now. This is the third story regarding this. This is from Ethan Cole of the Christian Post. He writes: Nine church leaders from the destroyed Fushan Chinese megachurch were kidnapped by local public security officials, according to a rights group on Tuesday. The leaders from the Fushan Church were traveling to Beijing to seek justice from the central government over the recent destruction of their church by local authorities when they were apprehended and kidnapped, according to China Aid Association. They have not been heard from since Friday. Moreover, moreover, local authorities have confiscated all computers, TVs, and other valuables from the church, calling them illegal materials. Other church leaders and active members have also been placed under house arrest and are under constant surveillance. Quote, to have military police occupy a peaceful church is an unprecedented tragic development in uh, 60 years of uh, the People's Republic of China history, which itself shows the reality of today's situation regarding religious freedom in China, said China aide President Bob Fu in a statement. Fu, who was a former Chinese Communist Party member before becoming a Christian human rights advocate, said the Chinese government has no reason to fear the peaceful Chinese church. He called for the immediate release of the kidnapped church leaders and for restoration of all the church's property. Two weeks ago, hundreds of people dressed in police suits raided the Good News Cloth Shoes Factory, which serves as the site for the Fushan Church. The mob used bulldozers to destroy the brick buildings and physically attacked church members sleeping at the construction site of a new church building using bricks and other objects. Over 100 people were injured in various uh, degrees. Some members were unconscious, while others needed blood transfusions or oxygen masks. The attack on the house church has been described as unprecedented in nature because of the scale of destruction and the brutality of the attack against the church members. China Aid says its sources in the government have reported that a notice was sent to all relevant government agencies over the weekend, ordering them to prepare to use military force to crack down on churches throughout China 
in the manner of the recent Xinjiang riot when nearly 200 people died and over 1,000 people were injured. Quote, we call on the international community to continue protesting the brutal treatment of Christians and the suppression of religious freedom in China. So our thoughts and prayers, again, go out to the, these leaders of this church in China. T- terrible, absolutely tragic. Oh, all right, time to switch gears. Our last segment of the day is our sermon review, which is tradition here at Fighting for the Faith. From the good, the bad, the ugly. It's kind of a first here. This kind of marks. This is the first uh, bad sermon I'm reviewing from a Lutheran church. Yeah, listen, I'm a Lutheran. I make no bones about it. However, that does not mean that I recommend that people go to any and all Lutheran churches. If the pastor at the Lutheran church doesn't understand what Lutheran doctrine is, wouldn't recognize the book of Concord if it came up and whapped him upside the head, doesn't know the proper distinction of law and gospel, and doesn't understand that his job is to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins and instead is preaching the law in such a way as to nag you into being a more moral person, you need to leave that church. Find a real church that preaches Christ and him crucified. With that in mind, we're going to be listening for Law and Gospel and Christ and Him Crucified from this particular church, Emmaus Lutheran Church, Bloomington, Minnesota, Pastor Nick D-Y-R-U-D, Drud, I think that's how you pronounce it. name of the sermon is Caution, Family in Danger. We're going to listen for how he uses God's Word and Law and Gospel. All right, let's kill that. Yeah. So with that in mind, we are now going to dive into this sermon, Caution, Family in Danger. Good morning. Morning. Boy, what would our families look like if we really lived life with our eyes fixed on Jesus? I know they would look differently, and we continue in our sermon series, Signs of Life. Psalm 119.37, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, all the things that we so often have our eyes fixed on. And give me life in your ways, and that's our prayer this morning. Already, you know, just hearing that phrase, what would our families look like if we fixed, if we had our eyes constantly or, or, or fixed on Jesus? What exactly does that mean? Okay, at least in the sense that he's using it. Why should I fix my eyes on Jesus? Hebrew says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when I fix my eyes on Christ, there is a biblical aspect to that. I am fixing my eyes on the on the one who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. So I look to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of sins. I look to, you know, and... And as a result of that faith that's given to us as a gift, by the way, faith is not something you muster up within yourself. It's given to you as a gift by God. Um, So that faith that, you know, it fixes its eyes and its gaze upon Christ. Now, what would my family look like if I using this sentence just makes me a little bit queasy. What would my family look like if I constantly fixed my eyes on Christ? Okay. Um. Am I am I fixing my eyes on Christ in order to see? I just 
I'm having a hard time putting my finger on this one, but that just that phrase makes the, the my first reaction to it was a moralistic pietism is what it sounded like. But we continue. If you're following along in your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 18, uh, verse 19. And there is a little background you'll need to this particular verse. As we begin in Jesus' name, and just as you saw in the children's sermon, we're talking about verse? You're going to have us look at verse? Where's the lectionary there, dude? A sign uh, much like this one on our screen that is yellow. You've seen them on the road. Uh, they are caution signs. Caution, family in danger. And we can certainly say that about our own families as they, we walk in the culture that we do, whether it's the things that your, your children or yourselves are exposed to in the workplace or on, on, on TV or, or whether it's uh, in the marketplace as you go out. A caution, your family is in danger, and God's Word has a lot to speak of the dangers that lie ahead for our families. And when we speak of family and, and what we do this morning, and that is uh, parental authority and leading by example, there is no one here that is excluded from this responsibility. Uh, whether past, present, or future, God has called us uh, to serve and serve in responsibility in and within our families. And we have this... Okay, I agree with you, Pastor. Yes, we are called to serve. Serve our neighbor in love. Okay? But if you're going to preach it from the law, not the gospel, um, then all you're doing is telling me what I have to do, and all that's going to do is basically tell me what I haven't done and show me my sin. Are you going to give me the forgiveness of sins? Because... Christian sanctification flows from uh, the gospel. I am saved, therefore I serve. Not that I serve, therefore I'm saved. <clears throat> Count in Genesis 18, 19. Uh, consider this with me now. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him. Here the Lord speaks to Abraham to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Now, in its context, uh, this is the Lord addressing Abraham just as prior he has told both Abraham and Sarah, and you may recall the story, uh, of quite a surprise in their life. They're getting up... Tell you what, let me read it in context, uh, since, you know, it's really a good Lutheran practice to actually not preach on a verse... <clears throat> Generally, if you attend a good confessional Lutheran church, you would hear an Old Testament lesson, uh, a lesson from uh, the epistles, as well as a gospel lesson. I mean, before you even get to the sermon, you've probably heard three to five chapters of the Bible as part of the church service. Um, not sure if they follow the lectionary there, but it just seems a little odd that he's preaching on a verse. But since he's talking about context, let's... um. Let's read it in context. Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 1. The Lord Yahweh appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. He sat down at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, 
If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you had come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Then Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make bread. Um, and make cakes. And uh, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf and he prepared it and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Then they said to him, where is uh, Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she is in the tent. The Lord Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, listen to this, okay? Huge part of this passage is the fact that this is what we call a theophany. This is an appearance of, uh, uh, basically, of Jesus Christ prior to the incarnation, okay? And Abraham is addressing one of these, quote, men as the Lord Yahweh himself. And uh, and it says, the, the Lord said, let me pull this up in my Hebrew uh, Old Testament. Hang on a second here. I'll just check something in the Old Testament here. Verse 10. Um, Okay, saying to return this time. Yeah, behold, Sarah. Uh Okay. Sorry, I I apologize. I'm just checking something out in the Hebrew here. want to uh, make sure I got this, this one straight. Then the Lord uh, then the Lord said, I will surely, uh-huh, yeah, there it is. Okay, yes, we're talking, we are, <clears throat> this, this is the This is the Lord. I will surely uh, return around this time next year, and Sarah your, uh, will have a son. Now, Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of, of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. She, she had gone menopausal. And, um, and um, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out? And my Lord is old. Shall I have this pleasure? Uh, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And and he said, No, you, you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide it from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham was, it shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because of this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, great is their sin, it is very grave, and I will go down to see what, whether they, what they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know it. Okay, we're going to point this out here. So when we, here we've got this verse. I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may 
bring to Abraham what he has promised him. If you take it out of its context, basically it's making it sound like the way of the Lord is to, quote, do justice. Now remember, Romans makes it clear that Abraham is the man of faith. Galatians makes it clear that he was declared righteous before God. Genesis chapter 15 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's all an important, these are important pieces of this entire story. And uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be hearing about those little details from uh, Pastor Dredd, but I just, I put the verse back in its context so we can hear how he's using it. They're in age, and can you imagine the Lord coming to your house and saying, by the way, uh, you're going to have a child. You know, the Lord likes to surprise us sometimes. He certainly has surprised many Many of us here with certain responsibility in life, but I can't imagine getting this surprise. And it says that as, as Abraham was in the heat of the day taking shade in his tent, he looked up and saw men coming towards him. Now, if you look in the context, we, we see that these were angels sent by God. In fact, the angel of the Lord was among these men. And as the angel of the Lord addresses Abraham, he says to him, you will have a child, and just so you know, at this time next year we will return and you will have that child. And in the background, as, as Sarah, his wife, is preparing food for the visitors, she laughs and says, you have to be kidding me. You have to be joking me. I'm getting up there in age. I can't have a child. That kind of responsibility, that's a joke, God. And then the Lord says, no, at this time next year you will. And there is a great responsibility I have for you. And then the Lord addresses Abraham and the family. For I have chosen him, chosen by God. And with being chosen comes responsibility, so that he may command his children and his household. God has left no one but ourselves to this responsibility. Now, of course, we'll talk about this later. We don't go about it alone. But this responsibility has been given first to the father and then to the mother. And this response... Okay, I'm going to point this out. This is third use of the law. This is a, this is a valid use, talking about responsibility, the things that we've been given by the Lord. Perfectly fine with the third use of the law. Responsibility that God has given you, whether in the future or has been in the past and still is, in whatever walk you are in life, God has given us this responsibility chosen by God to a specific group and to a specific people and a specific responsibility to command our children and the households after them to do what? To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that finally we can have the blessing that God has intended, and that is exactly what he is. Ooh, 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 okay, that, a little nervous there. You do these things so that you can have the blessing? Ouch. Um, that is not a valid use of the law. <clears throat> Communicating to Abraham in this place. Whether Abraham wanted the responsibility or not, he is calling him to this responsibility. And today, as we consider uh, this, the sermon series and Signs of Life, we take caution to what is ahead for our families. And we realize the significance of turning our eyes from looking at all the worthless things in life and, and 
Lord, our prayer is that you would give us life in, in your ways, and that's exactly what he instructed. Life in your ways. Wouldn't it be life in Christ? My life is hidden in Christ. And from that flows sanctification, good works. Just funny use of the law here. Instructs Abraham, consider the responsibility. Are your eyes on responsibility? Are my eyes on responsibility? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Not perfectly. Do I need as chosen by God, or are your eyes on things of this world? How How about you, Pastor Nick? Are, are your eyes on responsibility, or are they on the things of the world? How, how about you? Have you neglected this responsibility? Sure. How about you? Have you? Or are your eyes fixed on God's ways and, and bringing up your children and your family in, in God's ways? <clears throat> All right, here's the deal. Listen, I've talked about this before. Listen, dads, listen, okay? You Christian fathers out there, Christ has died for your sins. He's calling you to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name, and he's calling you to faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Through the reading of God's word, your faith is built up, and you're, you, it's like feeding, if you would. It's like it, like breathing, if you would. It's an important and critical aspect to it. And as a Christian father, you are now set free to do good works, the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And let me tell you what one of those good works are for you, Christian fathers, to to bring your children up in the Christian faith and to be the spiritual leader of your family. That means serving your children and your wife uh, by bringing them up in true fear and love and trust in God through the teaching of his word. And so it's that's that's one of your responsibilities, fathers. And we do it because of, of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. So I admonish you and it to to spur you on it to that good work of of feeding your children and feeding your wife with the fan, with the with the word of God and bringing them up in the Christian faith. Okay, now that's that that would be how I would admonish somebody to good work, specifically the good work of parenting, um, in light of the gospel. Now, the, I think we're, that what that little presentation that I gave is qualitatively different than what I'm hearing from Pastor Nick. But let's see how Nick goes with it, because right now I'm just hearing a lot of law talk. God also, in the text, commands Abraham to have his eyes on instruction as he has commanded Abraham to command his children and his household after him in keeping with the Lord's ways. He commands Abraham to this responsibility of instructing his family. And you know, that's exactly where so often we fall short. Uh, We're good at getting to church. We're good at uh, talking about instruction, but so often we are so bad at staying disciplined in our discipline of our children, of our own families. And okay, by the way, th- this is sin. He's pointing out the fact that people are bad at, at being disciplined and disciplining their children. That is not how God would have us serve our children in love. Okay, and it is sinful. You got to preach it for what it is. That's sin. 
Okay. Let's see if he calls it that and see if he then calls us to repentance of that sin. Yeah, you parents out there, listen, you know, we're all in the same boat together. We're all sinful. And may I encourage you in light of God's mercy and in light of the fact that it, Scripture says that, it, that God disciplines those he loves, to extend that love of God to you, the fact that God disciplines you, to also to your children and not neglect that. Uh, but don't, don't, you know, you want to give your children all good things and discipline is being one of them. And that actually flows from the gospel, not the law. And so often we don't consider this responsibility and its significance. Consider Abraham. God wasn't just talking about this son that they were going to be surprised with. He was talking about the generation after that and after that and after that and after that. The instruction and discipline that Abraham would have over his son would go from generation to generation. And and I contend it is no different with us. The significance of God calling us to this responsibility within our family goes from generation to generation. So why do we overlook it? Why do we so often take it lightly? Because we're sinners by nature, wretched all the way through. Just as it starts with the husband, just as it starts with the man, uh, of course it is for mothers as well. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-seven says, She looks well to the ways of her household. This is the wise woman, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Uh, consider how often our eyes are on the worthless things and how often our eyes are on those things that are idleness, those things that distract us from really focusing on the things that God would have us. And then we have a problem in the family today. It's no no question that we have a problem within the family today. And <clears throat> Problem within the family, is that root or fruit of our sinfulness? Actually, that's a fruit of our sinfulness <clears throat> that's a problem with topical sermons. They're like topical ointments. They can only cover the surface of a thing. You know what I mean? And God this morning is ca- cautioning us. There's danger ahead if you are not walking in my ways. Okay. Um, there's danger ahead if I'm not walking in the ways of the Lord. Okay. Yeah, it's called the wrath of God. What's the solution? Me trying harder? Or repenting and receiving the forgiveness of sins and then bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance. So let's, let's go a little deeper into Proverbs. The, these verses will be up on the screen, but I certainly encourage you to turn in your own Bibles and mark these down as we go through them. Just as God has, has intended for Abraham to be the parental authority and his wife Sarah to the family, He is also calling us to personal example, and that would be within the family and outside of the family, regardless of the age of your family. And he is not calling us to idleness, but to instruction. Uh, Let's consider instruction first and what Proverbs has to say. You want to turn to Proverbs 1, 8, 9. We read this with the kids in the children's sermon. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Here, kids, your father's instruction, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are 
like a graceful wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. See, hearing and obeying their teaching is like gracefully putting on that fancy hat or the beautiful crown. It's like putting the necklace around your, your children's neck. There's no question that as we lead by example and, and lead our children to follow God's law, that it is in their best interest that they follow the instruction of their parents. But just so the reason why we're to teach our children to obey God's law is because it's in their best interest. In what sense? I mean, it would be in my best interest to follow God's law if I could be saved by it. Uh, but I can't because no one's saved by keeping God's law. So uh, it would be in my best. Yeah, yeah bad. The fewer bad things happen to me, the, the gooder I am. So I should I should I should uh, follow God's law because, you know, that way n- not as many bad things happen to me. Right. It, it, notice what's the motivation for doing the good work then? Uh, that's selfish reasons, uh, which then disqualify that from being a good work. Just want to point that out. Just as teaching is important and, and really crucial to what God has called us to as parents and as grandparents and as future parents, uh, so is correction. And it's important that we, we look at the distinct distinction between correction and teaching. We're good at teaching so often, but, but correction is, is more difficult. To take the time to show our children what they did wrong and then lead them to the place and show them what they need to do to correct that situation. Those are, those are separate things, aren't they? This morning... By the way, um, you, you kind of skipped over kind of an important thing. Um, when we sin, part of the important part of repentance there is receiving the forgiveness of sins, the absolution for... Uh, for the thing that we've done, correction should then flow from uh, from as a fruit of repentance uh, that's borne out through the forgiveness of sins. You kind of skipped over the whole "you've transgressed God's law and need to be forgiven by God" thing to uh, just to correct them so that they should show, show them the right thing to do. Where's the forgiveness of sins here? Morning. Just. So, so funny that we'd be speaking on this today, and then I, I face an opportunity to put this into practice literally as I'm walking out the door. Now, now even logic might suggest that I don't have time to deal with a, a, a disciplined situation minutes before I need to get here. I could come up with a number of excuses like, you know, I have important things to do and I need to go now. Um, but without calling one of my kids out, we had a discipline issue seconds before I walk out the door. And, of course, the thought came to mind, do I, do I stay? Do I, do I stop and do I deal with this now? Or should I just say, honey, you can do this? Or, or do I stop and take on, the, take on the responsibility that God has called me to? And uh, that's what, what needed to happen. And you know that extra time, that extra time wasn't that big of a deal when I, I really thought about it. Uh, see, correction is, is crucial. So often it's correction that, that we don't bother with because of all the other things we have 
bother in life. But to show the child what happened and then how to correct it is essential. And Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs 29.15. You know, um, I can get this from uh, Jim Dobson's book, Dare to Discipline. And he's a little bit more sure about himself when he, uh, he teaches uh, the importance of discipline in his book. <sighs> the rod and reproof. And when we're talking about rod, we're talking about discipline. It is literal. We are talking about the rod or, or like spanking. But it's not just that. It's all discipline. The rod signifies discipline. The rod and reproof, and reproof is, is to look someone in the face and, and boldly say, this is what's wrong. There is a place for the rod and reproof because they, it says, give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way, it says, brings shame to his mother. And isn't that true? A child who always gets his own way, what do we call that? The spoiled brat. That's what we call that. I call them future criminals. The child who gets his own way is shame to his mother. That's not my opinion. This is what uh, God's Word says about correction. See, correction needs to be commonplace in our homes. And so often we fail in this place, but we must give correction time. Another thing about correction is that we so often uh, consider correction only to be done uh, at the time when, when children are young. But there's a place when they're older, too. Maybe for some of you, your, your children have grown up. And, and, and the Bible certainly speaks of discipline and, and how crucial it is at a certain time in life. We'll talk more in depth on that later in this sermon. But as we consider uh, God calling us to correction, this, this would also go for some of our our children who are grown up. See, so often what we like to do, because it's easier, is, is just kind of let, let it go. Let sin in, in, a, a, in, a, in a daughter or a son, just let it go, because we feel like maybe we're stepping on their toes or like that's inappropriate. But God calls us in every place, in every place, when it's appropriate uh, to discipline our sons and daughters. Uh, to allow disobedience to go un to go uncorrected is is not to follow God's God's word. Are you uh, overlooking disobedience in your son or daughter's life? Are you saying you know they can deal with that on on their own? Um, God calls you to take a stand. For correction, on correction in Proverbs, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Something I want to point out. This is more of a stylistic critique uh, point at this point, but this guy just doesn't seem very comfortable um, boldly proclaiming sin to be sin. And uh, you just, he's, it seems like with every single thing that he's pointing out that, that you, you, you got to do. He's, he's trying to shave off some of the sharp edges. He doesn't want to offend anybody. Dude, let me help you out here. <clears throat> Preach it like this, Nick. All right, here's the deal. God's word could not be clearer. We do not serve and love our children if we do not discipline and, and correct them when they disobey us and the commands and clear commands of God. 
We are not serving them in love, and we do that. We are harming them, harming them in a way that could lead to eternal damnation. You know, just you know, go with the kind of the hellfire brimstone thing from the Baptist. You kind of when you're proclaiming the words of God, remember they're not your your words; they're His words. So we can proclaim them boldly. We don't have to kind of you know. Kind of walk around it and, 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 and maybe sort of kind of, you know, say it's important that you might kind of, no. Parents, if you ain't disciplining your kids, you are in, you are not serving them in love and you are disobeying God. And worse, by not, God's word says, God disciplines those he loves. It is the ultimate act of love to discipline your child and bring them up in the way they should go. And the most important thing is to teach them what God's law demands of them, but more importantly, to show them the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins so that when they do wander, when they do go astray, when they do rebel, when they do transgress God's law, that they hear the comforting words of the forgiveness of sins in Christ so that their good works might not just be pure moralism whereby they're trying to make themselves look shiny and decent people before their peers, but instead they are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and the forgiveness of sins and so that their good works might shine before men and that God may be glorified in all that they do. Now, I see qualitatively different than what I'm hearing here. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. What else uh, does Proverbs say about teaching and commanding and, and correction? Well, Proverbs talks a lot about discipline, and discipline can be a very difficult thing to do consistently within the home. A discipline, Proverbs 19.18 says this, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Yeah, there is, there is a time, a critical time in our kids' lives when they are to be disciplined. And the reason that time is so critical is because when they're young, when it's, when it's just the picking up of their toys or something, it's not so critical. No one actually really cares maybe that, uh, that their son or daughter picks up their toys. That's not what's so critical, is it? But if they don't learn then, if they're not learning now, what happens when they're older and they're wayward and they get in trouble with the law? See, the stakes are much higher, of course, the older they get. A discipline is commanded by God and is critical and is critical to a certain time in life. And that's because discipline ultimately is love. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Boy, is that true? Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Whoever yes, it's true. <laughs> it's tr Come on, guy. You could do it. Come on. <sighs> whoever spares the rod. And in, in other words, whoever does not discipline, does not love their child. Because discipline is love. Just as we, we talk to the kids up here. Why does God caution us? And this is true how God fathers us. He cautions us because He loves us. And He doesn't want us to walk down that road when the stakes are really high. And when lives are ruined because of sin. 
Oh, good. We're calling it sin. Eternal souls are damned because of sin. See, when it's just blocks, that's the best time to instruct your child. The last place you want to be instructing your child is when he or she is in prison. Why? Just because somebody's in prison doesn't mean that that is not a great place for them to learn. Are people in prison any different than you and I? When the stakes are really high, discipline your son, Proverbs says, while there is hope. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline. Diligent. Right. Again, we're talking about love here. Love God and love your neighbor. This is all law talk. Now, remember, if you're just preaching the law without the gospel, you're not preaching in any way that has the ability to actually change people's lives. I'm just pointing it out because the law can't save us and it, the law doesn't sanctify us. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So the law, two good uses of the law to convict people of their sins and show them what a good work is. You're, this is kind of third use of the law, sort of, kind of, but there's no connection to the cross at this point either. And that's difficult. Let's talk a little bit more about discipline. Because it's really important to, to consider what discipline is. Because when we're talking about discipline, we're not talking about, well, I need to yell a little bit more now. Or if I just scream a little louder at the kids, then maybe they'll get it and they'll do it. And Proverbs twenty nine nineteen speaks of this. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. By mere words. It's not just about what you're telling them. Eventually, there needs to be some something more involved. And that, what would be involved is up to the wisdom of the parent, but ultimately that wisdom that I pray is, is biblical would come in a form of either a, a spanking or a taking away of a child's freedom or the giving of responsibility because they need to learn that as well. And God has called us to this discipline because mere words aren't enough. And the same thing that was true of Abraham... And all throughout the Old Testament is true today. And that is, if we discipline in love, we are showing the greatest form of love when we discipline our children. But remember, discipline, it can't be done on our own. We are never to discipline out of anger, but discipline with the grace of God. And ultimately, we do that uh, finally because discipline holds the family together. Ha have you ever considered just how, how critical discipline is? Discipline holds the family together? <clears throat> I would prefer to have something a little bit more tangible holding my uh, family together, you know, like Christ. <clears throat> it's critical to do it appropriately. It's critical to do it as God guides you in His Word. And it's also critical because it holds the family together. And Proverbs talks about uh, the ruin that a child can do to a family. Maybe you've been a part of a family in which a rebellious child has torn apart that family. I know where you're at. 
A wise son, a wise daughter makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. And that is true. Sorrow. That's what kids can do, young or old. A foolish son is grief to his father, Proverbs 17.25 says, and bitterness to her who bore him. Have you ever considered that? that? That's serious. That's serious. Could you really be bitterness to your own mother who bore you? Yeah, that's how serious, undisciplined behavior is, because it always leads to ruin. We've talked about that a lot lately. But when you, when you follow a path of sin and destruction, when you follow the path of all eyes on me, I'm going to do what's best for me, and not eyes on the responsibilities that God has given us, then yes, then yes, we lead down that path of destruction every time. And that is how critical discipline is. <clears throat> Just want to point something out here, uh, Nick. Listen, we all do that. Uh, we, you know, even we Christians who struggle with our sinful nature, Romans seven, the things I don't want to do, I do; the things I don't want, uh, the things I want to do, I don't do. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, sin is extremely, uh, like, uh, eternally serious. You got to drive this thing home and then call people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It just sounds like you're trying to use the law in such a way as to kind of like give advice on parenting. Uh, but God's law is far more than just good advice. And we can't overlook discipline. It was interesting that this week just so happened to be a week in which uh, uh, Emmaus says uh, we have the opportunity to. Uh, to do an uh, inner-city uh, mission service at the Marie Sandvik Center. And as we went to the, the center this week, I, I, kn I know from past experience that, that for the most part, many mothers will be there with their children, uh, mothers who face incredible circumstances in their lives, uh, coming just for a blanket or, a, or just, a, just a, a warm meal. Uh, circumstances that we, uh, many of us have, have never, never faced in our own lives. And, you know, the same text was preached there. And it was incredible the response of the, the young women who uh, mentioned that they, they never grew up with that kind of instruction. How many uh, women grew up with absent fathers? And whether that's, a, that's something that you have faced in life or whether it is not, um, we all struggle uh, with keeping our eyes on, on the things of this world. And it, and it really gets in the way and, and is an incredible detriment uh, to... <clears throat> Nick, dude, um... <sighs> I, I'm just beginning to wonder if you really even have, uh, you yourself perceive the, just how deep sin is. I mean, the solution you're offering for these sinful problems is kind of like you just kind of rededicate yourself, to, you know, to fixing your eyes more on, you know, Jesus, whatever that means. To families today. And it was so evident in the lives of those that we served, but what a joy it was, uh, 
to serve that group in Minneapolis and, and talk about God's Word and its importance in their families' lives. But we are tempted then. We are tempted to be absent. We are tempted to have our eyes on everything but God and instruction. We are tempted, instead of discipline, to have our eyes on ourselves. That's the eyes in the mirrors, not on our responsibilities. Yeah, right, sin. This is sin. Right, you're right. You're describing sin. Where is Jesus in this sermon? And women, not on our responsibilities, but so often we're tempted to have pursuits of ourselves. And, and when... Yeah, tell me about it. I'm a wretched sinner. When we put our pursuits before our family, what we are saying is... Right, because we're sinners. Stay away. You know, I am more important than you. And that is commonplace today. Uh, It's been commonplace ever since Adam and Eve um, fell. Instead of our eyes on our responsibilities, we would rather say, you know, I'm too busy. How about my eyes on Christ? We we talked about that earlier. I was a little queasy with how you used it, but... (sighs) And then we push away. It's so much easier, that's why. It's so much easier. What else is on this list? I would rather have someone else do it. Tell the babysitter to do that. Honey, you do that. I've got someone covering it. No big deal. But God hasn't given his responsibility to someone else. He's given it to you, just as he has commanded Abraham to command and instruct in the way of the Lord. He didn't look to someone else or his wife. He looked to Abraham. And he calls us to do the same. So let us not have selfishness win out. And may we not stay away and be absent. Or let someone else do it and delegate it away. What else is easier than disciplining your kids? (laughs) Putting it off. I'm good at this one. I'll do it, but later. That's what I wanted to do this morning. We like to relegate things, don't we? I'll do it just later. Then all of a sudden the kids have grown up. What we're saying when we do that is my needs are more important than others. You know, for some of us here, um, it is true that maybe some of the most opportune times for us to discipline our children were in the past. And what God is calling uh, us to is, is certainly conviction within His Holy Word. Uh, that is true. But, but not to... Not to be pressed down by that conviction. But while you're alive, there is is still hope. Absolutely, there is still hope. Okay, uh, why is there hope? Please, at this point, tell me about the hope because of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Please. No longer should we be putting it off, but uh, may we decide today... Uh, That discipline is so crucial that we... (sighs) See, there's hope because you can decide even now today to discipline. (sighs) We will start today regardless of where our children are at.
Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah just tell me the law, man. Give me all kinds of hope because, see, there's hope as long as you're breathing that you're, you're going to make some better decisions. Law and gospel, please. The, the gospel is mysteriously missing. Number four, what's, what's easier than disciplining your kids? Eating a bowl of ice cream. I don't think that was the answer we were looking for, though. But Well, sometimes we have this attitude. You know, I've got, I've got a lot of crisis in my own life. We like to mitigate. And life crisis often keeps us not only from things we enjoy in life, but it also keeps us from things that are important in life. And so often we let things uh, uh, overwhelm ourselves, and, and then we take on this attitude like, you know what, no one goes through the things I go through. And so I don't have time to discipline my kids and worry about that because time, times are tough. But uh, there are no exceptions in Proverbs that I've read. And there was no exception for Abraham as he was called by God to instruct. And it really goes back to our... our t- <sighs> yeah, well, see, that's a good reason to do it because there's no exceptions. Yeah, you familiar with the Ten Commandments also. There's no exceptions for anybody. No one gets to say, hey, listen, I got a special thing from God where I don't have to obey the Eighth Commandment. I'm, I'm, I'm free and clear on that one. Dude, you're just preaching the law. You're, uh, you're, I'm sorry, but you're just nagging me with it. And I just don't like being nagged by the law. Text in the sermon series, and that is, turn my eyes, Lord God, and this should be our prayer, looking from looking at worthless things and, and give me life in, in your ways, God. When our- and give me life in your ways. You know, that, what, what is missing with this? Forgiveness. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Give me life in you. I want, to, I want my life hidden in Christ. Our, when our eyes are in the mirror looking at ourselves, uh, we are always looking at the worthless things in life because we want to we want to please our flesh, don't we? It's so easy to please our flesh, but God is calling us to live life in His ways, and His ways command us to discipline our children and to live disciplined lives ourselves. Yeah, the gospel apparently is completely lost on this Lutheran pastor. So how do we keep our eyes on the Lord's way? Yeah, just please tell me because um, yeah, just, I'm looking for three simple things that I can do right now that just, you know, give me... Uh. How do we uh, be an example to our children? How do we stay consistent? Well, by God's grace, in other words, not alone... That's how you define God's grace is that it's not alone. Something's, this soup is missing some salt. Uh, We first do just as the Lord instructed Abraham. Just do. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. Uh, We do righteousness. Just do it. Come on. What are you waiting for? Uh, Pastor, do you do righteousness? How well do you do it? By the way, Christ 
uh, did righteousness perfectly for me. You are familiar that that is the fact that that's what's taught in the Lutheran confessions and in the scriptures. Seems to completely be oblivious to this guy. What that means is we follow truth. We follow God's word. We can't. Yeah, you see, here's the deal. If it was that simple, we'd all be doing it, wouldn't we? What about the sinful by nature part? What? Uh, can't say it enough. God has instructed us in his word, and he calls us as parents to follow the way of his word. This is rank law. The, 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 uh, there is no gospel here. I'm getting really frustrated with this guy. The fact that he is supposed to be a Lutheran pastor is making me even doubly frustrated. Ugh. He has given us this truth, and he desires that we walk in it. Right, and we don't. So what are we going to do about that? You've heard of the forgiveness of sins. And he also desires that we do do justice. What does that have to do with discipline? Well, to do justice really just means to administrate the law. Do your responsibility, and then with justice comes and do it fairly. Do it appropriately, whether it's because of the age group that you're doing it with or whether it is your own flesh trying to win out and just trying to do things quickly. All right, Nick, here's the deal. Okay, I'm perfectly aware of what God demands from me. What advice are you going to be able to give me, though? Because here's the deal. I don't do it. Certainly not perfectly. Yeah, I try. Boy, do I come short every single day. Even my good works are just completely tainted with sin. You have any hope to offer me? Any good news whatsoever? The, does the term good news ring a bell at all inside of that brain of yours? Does the term gospel sound remotely, vaguely familiar to you? God is calling us to fairly lovingly discipline our children when we still have time. What is the Lord's way? I remind us, Daniel 4.37, what a beautiful verse. Wouldn't the Lord's way be trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? It's fear, it's faith and trust in Christ, right? Believe. Uh, you're going to Daniel. I don't, is that mentioned in Daniel? Verse, as the king this, the king ex- exclaims to the people, the king who was walking wayward, now understanding that God, God's ways are right. He says, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, not me anymore, the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And ultimately, this is a humility problem. When parents don't discipline their kids, they're, they're more concerned about themselves. And we need a good dose of humility as parents, don't we? To say, you know, I'm going to start doing things God's way. And, you know, with God's way, always comes something that is so wonderful. With, with going things God's way, always comes blessing. And Proverbs talks about this, too. Mark a couple of these verses down in your Bibles. Proverbs 29:17 says discipline your son and he will give you rest. I think we all need a little rest. 
doesn't Jesus say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? There's no rest from the law. The law just tells me to do, 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 do. And the thing is that I haven't done it and I don't keep it, and that makes me guilty before a holy and just God. But the gospel tells me what Christ has done. <sighs> This guy's just nagging us with the law, and it's just really starting to grate. It really getting under my skin there, Nick. You know, so often it's time that takes us away from real valued family time. It's our own time that gets in the way of disciplining our children. We try to do things quickly, and then it spirals out of control because we haven't done it right. We haven't done it God's way. Discipline your kids and they will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. Do you want to look at your children with delight? I do. Do you want the blessing of raising children the right way so that they are a blessing to you? Do it God's way. Do it. And then Proverbs 28, 12 and 13, 21. Adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous, the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. Well, that leaves you and me and everybody else out, don't you think? <clears throat> right. Can you say that you're righteous, Nick? I can't, and I know you can't. So you just preached the law and basically told us to be righteous, but you aren't. For those of you sinners out there like myself, uh, listening to this going, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Yeah, 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 you are. Don't think for a second you're not. Um, We are all in trouble because uh, none of us is righteous. But see, there's another word. There's another mountain, not Sinai, but Calvary that speaks. And it tells us of the forgiveness of sins. All of them forgiven. And the righteousness imputed to us that belong to Christ because he fulfilled the law perfectly. And he gives us his righteousness as a robe to wear so that God doesn't see us as sinners, but sees us clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. Oh boy, this is just uh, this is just gospelless, Christless moralism. And then Proverbs twenty-eight, twelve: When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, and that is the blessing that is of God. See, when we turn our notice, he's making righteousness contingent upon our behavior. Not just uh, well, then we're not righteous. Our eyes from looking at worthless things. Satan would like us to think that life will be miserable. You know, if I, if I get away from my hobbies, then I'm not going to have any fun myself. That's what Satan would like us to think. And, and really, that's what our flesh would like us to think. That if I get away from oh, discipline, it's so difficult. Why do I have to bother with all this discipline? My life will be miserable if I really address everything my children are doing. No, see, when we turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and we have life in God's ways, 
we receive blessing, just like Proverbs says. True freedom comes from living God's way. No, true freedom comes from Christ who set us free. Paul says in Galatians, cursed are you who are under the law because the law says, basically, you must do these things, then you will live. Our freedom is through the gospel, not through our law-keeping. Unbelievable. Did, did, didn't they teach you that in Lutheran seminary, Nick? You know, isn't it interesting, and obviously not a coincidence, that this is exactly the way God disciplines us? It's exactly what God does with us. See, God allows us to go through some pain in life so that we are disciplined and understand the seriousness of the consequences in life. And he has called us as parents, as grandparents, and as future parents to do the same, because that is walking in his way. Are you cautioning your children? Do they know that danger is ahead for the family? Are they currently tearing the family apart? Discipline God's way. Let's pray. Okay. Man, do they know the danger is on the way? Well, what kind of danger? Like fires of hell? And then the way we avoid the fires of hell is by trying harder and doing better? Uh, No. Okay, folks, that was an example of a moralistic, pietistic sermon. Christless. With a complete misunderstanding of the law. Somehow thinking that only the third use of the law, and you you got to try harder, you got to do better, you got to you got to you got to you got to, and that's how you are righteous because you you've done the, the the thing, whatever the thing is. Yeah, bad, bad, just really bad. And uh, again, I go back to what I said. You and I are sinners. Let's get that right out on the table. I am a wretched, rotten sinner who has deserved the fires of hell, and so are you. But Christ has died for our sins, all of them. And he's calling all of us to repentance, daily repentance, and the forgiveness of sins offered in his name. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That rest comes from Christ's shed blood on the cross for all of your sins. And the good news is is that you've been set free from sin and its consequences, from the devil and from death itself. And Christ has replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. You now trust in God. And you are created in him to do good works. These are not a burden for the Christian. That'd be like saying breathing is a difficult thing to do. I I am so sick and tired of breathing. I just wish I didn't have to breathe so much. No. Good works are the very breath of faith are the very breath of repentance and the forgiveness of sins and our new nature in Christ wrought from the preaching of the gospel. And and let me give you some great ways that you can put your 
breathing your good works into action. One of them, as a, as a parent, is to love and discipline your child just the way God loves and disciplines you. This is no burden. It's a natural thing to do according to your new nature. And it's the way you serve your neighbor. Remember, God doesn't need your good works. Not any of them. All of the good works that God needed were provided for by Christ in his perfectly righteous life and death and resurrection. But your neighbor needs your good works. And who is your neighbor? Your spouse, your children, your co-workers. And when it specifically comes to your children, you are now set free in Christ to love and serve your children. And that means bringing them up in the fear, love, and trust of the Lord, showing them proclaiming to them repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and then teaching them from God's word and feeding them from God's word so that they, too, may breathe good works in their life that give glory to God and are wrought for their neighbor to pick and to enjoy. Something completely different than what this guy preached. Keep that in mind. All right, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Yeah, that's right. And very soon, it's going to be 100% listener-supported. No, that'll be in February. So I need to remind you, you can support us a couple of ways. First, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you're there, you're going to see two different you're going to see two different buttons. Right now, what we're trying to do is to get a 1,000 of our listeners, and we have a lot more than that, a 1,000 of our listeners to join our crew, so to speak. And what does that mean? That you you are basically joining up and will be contributing monthly, and it happens automatically for you. you once you sign up for it, it happens automatically every month. It's $6.95 a month to uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh, once the our initial 1,000 uh, listeners who have done that have done that, uh, that will basically meet all of our expenses, but nothing more on, on an annual basis. And uh, so we're looking for yeah, our first 1,000 uh, listeners who will uh, join our crew and subscribe in that way and uh, make it possible for us to continue to basically meet our expenses month to month. And the good news is is that every subscriber after that, that's extra money that we can use towards expanding the outreach of Fighting for the Faith. Also, you can click on one of the, the donate button there if you'd like to give above and beyond. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and you can send it along to Fighting for the Faith at Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, uh, that was just uh, <laughs> that. Uh, sorry, I, 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 uh, those those kind of sermons really bother me. Especially, it, it just is so mm, from from my point of view because I think it's a tragedy when any preacher abandons his job of proclaiming Christ and Him crucified for our sins and gets off into some kind of moralistic, pietistic thing. It just is, it's tragic, and I feel bad for the people listening to it, and I also feel bad for that pastor. And we keep him in your prayer and pray that God would grant him repentance and he would proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. All right, if you'd like to email me, you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, my uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross 
for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.